Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we're coming at you from a, a, a room in an Airbnb somewhere in Georgia. Can't tell you where, but we got Mr. Shane Parker with us. Shane, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Uh, Jacob, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. I've seen more deer so far today scouting than I saw in five days in Tennessee, so I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, so we're on our Georgia hunt. Uh, people have heard us talking a little bit about it, uh, kind of leading up to this. And uh, we all arrived. You guys arrived around lunchtime today and got to look around. Uh, Shane, you have you came up here and drove around just a little bit, right? Like a couple weeks back? Yeah, I did. I come back up here and uh, I guess it was the end of June. Okay. I guess it's been several months ago. Yeah. And uh, I came up here on Friday and uh, looked around a little bit. Put a camera out, got a almost equal number of deer and people on it, but hey, you know it's all part of the experience. So uh, I guess we got we got a lot to talk about. Uh, Shane, I want to talk to you. I think we're going to talk about like thermal hubs and stuff. Jacob, what what what'd you? Oh want to talk about? oh, we're going to that conversation. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was thinking thermal hubs. I, I didn't know where we were going with this, Shane. I'll be honest. So, so what I want to do, I want to. So with this, I, I wanted to do uh, like a little little pre hunt talk here. And then towards the end of the week, we can record like a post-hunt thing, and I guess that might be the Thursday episode. But I also want to talk about like thermal hubs and, and stuff like that, because like there's always plenty to talk about there. Um, but as it, as it stands today, like what, what we've looked at kind of scouting around and everything, Shane, what has been your experience so far up here today? Like, you know, planning the hunt and, and what you're going to do, and then you got up here today, and, and what did you see, basically? Well, uh, I guess it kind of played out um, exactly how I thought it would. Uh, in a lot of ways. I expected uh, the area I scouted today was a thermal hub to start out. And it had some sign, but not enough sign to make me, you know, really excited about it, which is kind of what I thought I would see. Uh, and the ag at this time of year, uh, this in this area, um, is really what's holding the, the deer right now. And that's kind of what I expected, I guess. Uh, I guess I kind of expected to have a little more uh, hard mast. Uh, hitting the ground that the deer were feeding on, and that's not at all the case, and that's really changing, uh, you know, basically the movement that I expected. So it's all about hard mass right now, and they're just not, they're not, there's not enough of that hitting the ground right now that they're seeking out to to really change their their movement pattern right now. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that's kind of one thing that I was wondering about because when I came up here on Friday, it's Wednesday right now, so it's less than a week later, and but on Friday. You know, getting around in the woods a little bit, I just didn't feel like I found like that defined feed sign in, in one spot, which I didn't get to look at a ton of stuff. But uh, one thing that I did do is I got way up on one of the sides of these mountains over here 
and it's pretty open and you can hear for a long ways. It's a calm day. And I just kind of sat there for like 10 minutes and didn't move and just listened. And I, I couldn't hear anything dropping really outside of what squirrels were knocking out. So that's, that was one thing where I'm like, okay, it seems like it's not really happening yet. Like, seems like everything's kind of holding on and, uh, and maybe we're not going to come up here and just find like a white oak just raining at this point. But if you did find that, I'm assuming it'd be pretty good, you know. Um, Jacob, what about you? You came up here and uh, you and Seth ran around a little bit today, kind of looked around. What'd you find? Yeah, we we drove around a bunch of different spots and um, decided to go to a uh, piece of the uh, a certain side of the management area or this piece of public that I was really interested in checking out. Um, and the reasoning why is it had, you know, a, it seemed like a decent amount of steep elevation uh, change. And that's something about, like, in the part of the state we're in, uh, just you, you have a lot of elevation change in general. Some of it's more gradual than others. But this one area uh, had a couple big different drainages kind of running throughout it. So we decided to run up there, and I wanted to walk down one of these drainages. And not really – and kind of my thought process was we're going to kind of work the drainages down – Potentially, because when we were driving up, there's white oaks everywhere. Everywhere we drove, at least when you were down low, you had white oaks. And I was thinking, you know, we could walk down, see if any of these trees are dropping first. And then also, if we happen to bump something, they're more than likely going to be bedded above us. And I feel more comfortable bumping them up from the bottom than blowing them off the top from you coming off the top, especially like on an afternoon, um, kind of evening, kind of walkabout. Um, and we did that, and we found a there were a ton of sign and when I say sign just trails some tracks stuff like that but nothing that really confirmed that like hey there is a definitely a buck using it um you know we had some or I had some thoughts going into this hunt thinking hopefully because of the time of this hunt we're going to start having some of these more mature bucks starting to shed velvet we're going to start finding some whip rubs start finding some subtle rubs every now and then that kind of key in on what a buck's actually currently using and we didn't find that this afternoon. We, we found some feed sign. We found some white oaks that were dropping, um, you know, down, you know, 40, 50 yards off the bottom of the creek. Um, and there was, you know, the best feed sign I've seen out here. It's nothing it's nothing crazy, but it's a, a slight little point that dropped off. But on one side of this drainage, it was extremely steep. You have, you know, on onyx slope angle shading turned on, and it's, you know, bright red, not quite purple, but bright red. And it's not bluffed, but when you looked over there, you're like, I don't know if I could physically climb up that because the ground's pretty soft and it'd be pretty treacherous and just dangerous trying to get up that, that steep of a face. And one thing we realized after kind of going back in three quarters of a mile to a mile back, I mean, when we circled back, we bumped probably 10 plus deer and they were all on the super steep side of the drainage. They weren't on the, the more terrace side that we were kind of slipping up on. Um, even though that's where all the white oaks are at on that side, it looked like there was a lot more mountain oaks over there. And from all the deer that we kind of bumped, it seemed to be all does, at least the ones that we visually could see. They were so high up, uh, up top that they were like almost right at that crest, like right at the drop. And they could see all the way down to the bottom. I mean, if you were moving around a good bit, they could see all the way down to the bottom. But on our side of that ditch, that creek that we were walking up was a lot thicker. A lot more understory compared to that what was over there, but mostly due because it wasn't nearly as steep as the other side of the creek. Um, found some bear sign, though. Found some bear sign. Uh, got in a little spot that had some uh, quite a bit of hickory down in a bowl, down in a, a small hub. And uh, there were some broken branches from those hickory trees that they were climbing up and snapping them off fresh. Was it like real fresh? Yeah, oh yeah. Like, like green, you like, go in there and kill like, them? Like the leaves are green still in the broken branch that was laying on the ground. And there's multiple of them just laying there. And it's the same kind of broken branches I've seen in Arkansas where it's like they break them. 
you know, some of the times they'll break it, and it's like, at least what I've seen in the past, they're kind of like a jagged break. But, like, those smaller branches, you know, the ones that they get out on the ends of one of those branches, especially like maybe a smaller bear, and they can snap it, it's almost like a clean break, and it'll just be, like, laying there, and all the nuts are stripped off. And, like, you see the leaves are all tore up and stuff, and we filmed some of it today, too. Uh, Seth did. So, um I was like, okay. I'm like, you know, this little, it's a, it's a little hub that had just a ton. It was all hickory. So there was no white oaks in that w- little spot, which was kind of interesting. But the trails here are insane. Now, some of them are bear trails. And Shane, you saw some of that today. Uh, I've seen it before in Arkansas, where it's like in some spots, and like Shane, you can talk about this in, in, a, sec- in a second, about like where you find those like trails that are being used where they're kind of the bears are stepping like, individual stepping spots like it's not like it's like a worn out deer trail it's like there's a you know place for the paw to go here there's a place for the go to paw there and it's like there's like these worn down little spots where their paws go but there's there's more like undisturbed ground in between them where we were finding some and it looks like because of how a bear's paw is when it's walking anyone's kind of hunted this kind of terrain or up in you know east tennessee and, and north carolina and stuff with their paws, it literally mats the ground down to the point that you almost think it's a hiking trail, and they're wide. You know, they're 12 to 18 inches wide, some of those trails. Um, and sometimes the deer use it, but compared to a deer trail, like a deer trail, if you have a deer trail, the ground's very disturbed. Like, you can see the indentions of the hoofs going through. You might not be able to see an individual track, but you can tell there's hoofs coming through here versus, like, a bear trail. It literally looks like you, like, just rolled it over, like, one of those, like, asphalt rollers, where it's just pressed in super smooth, and we found a bunch of that in there today, back in that spot. So, um, long story short, didn't find any specific uh, whip rubs or anything like that, but found some old rubs from last year, saw a bunch of does, you know, definitely a pretty interesting spot, some of the does, let's get pretty close to the point that almost unknocked an arrow, and, uh, you know, try to make something happen. <laughs> it's a camp, or meet, baby. Should, should have knocked an arrow, not unknocked the arrow. But, uh, but yeah, wasn't quite that close. But um, again, just saw a bunch of deer. Like this place has a lot higher deer density than even I'd previously thought coming into it. Even though, you know, you've been up here, Shane. You've done some research on the place as well, and come to find out, it's got really high deer numbers. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I mean, you can just drive around and just, you know, just to be able to see that many you know deer just from the road itself that's that that's a telling a telling sign and then like i said i didn't see as much uh once i got back in the woods that i'd want to normally see but i did i did find a a, a fresh rub found a a, a a shed uh a little bit of feeding sign but in the areas where the pockets of white oaks that i were expecting to to kind of be dropping or hoping to kind of be dropping that were they were tucked away in the the mountain laurel and the thicker uh canopy and and understory there just wasn't enough of that uh and 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 lots of mountain oaks uh, a lot of red oaks a lot of uh, sawtooth oak uh that were dropping that were just not being touched at all and that's pretty telling. You know, the only thing that, like you said, the only thing that was really touching that right now was what I saw was bare. You know, so. Yeah, one thing I want to hit on that I think is a pretty interesting little little tidbit that we might have picked up on earlier today is I think we're all looking for the same thing. We're all looking for whip rubs. We're all looking for feed sign, fresh dropping stuff like that. Just your typical early season, just deer sign. Uh, and we were wondering if if the bucks are going to be out of velvet yet, like they're, they're, this is the time it's a, uh, it's September 13th right now. So this is about the time they're really stripping it off. Um, Shane, you ended up seeing a whole bunch of deer today, yeah, including <laughs> several bucks. Yeah. Yeah, you saw a bunch of deer. So I yeah. want you to talk about that, but also well, an important note, I think, or an interesting note is the bigger bucks that you were seeing were already shed where a lot of those smaller bucks 
still had velvet on their antlers, which which could play in. Like if you're finding rubs, if that holds true, if that pattern holds true, it's probably a good deer. So can you talk about just what you saw today? Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like I just opened up a can of deer right here around the, <laughs> you know, right here where we're, we're staying. We're going to make that new T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I saw uh, multiple. Um, I would say more mature bucks. I'd say three and a half year older, eight point, nine point, ten point, something like that. And the ones that did have a substantial rack uh, had no velvet. They had already shed and the younger bucks still were holding on to that, that, uh, velvet, which is exactly what I'm seeing. Uh, when I just left, uh, another piece of public that I pulled cards on last week and pulled a bunch of cameras on same thing. All the mature bucks have shed velvet, uh, probably weeks ago and weeks later, the younger bucks are still holding on. So if you're, you are finding rubs right now, uh, you can pretty much bank that that's probably going to be a mature buck. You know, the, the testosterone level is just going to be higher for him mm -hmm. and he's going to start rubbing earlier, lose that, that velvet earlier. And as soon as that velvet comes off, they're at it, you know, and it just ramps up from there, you know. I, I want to talk a little bit about whip rubs. So we brought this up on, on the podcast quite a few times in the last few weeks, if not the last month or two. Um, maybe, Shane, can you talk about, like, what is your thoughts on what is a whip rub? At least that's the terminology that me and Andrew use. You might call it something different, but, like, that, that rub that a buck, the, the trees that a buck typically will rub as he's coming out of velvet, what does that mean for you? And typically what does that look like in, like, your area of the country, of you know, your area of Alabama that you typically hunt in? Well, they're normally, like, small. You know, like the size of your thumb would be a, a large one. You know, I found some last week that were, that were you know, I, I would say inch, inch and a half, two inches in diameter, uh, which are larger, and that tells me that that's probably a, a really mature buck because most of the time it's just something the size of your pinky and they've just beat it to pieces, you know, or they've, you know, I like, I look at them in two different ways. If, if, uh, uh, in, in the area that I'm, I'm normally hunting in, you'll find a lot of early rubs on, uh, the, um, wild, um, gosh, I can't think of the name of them now. Um, it, it's a, it's a flowering plant that 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 most people have in the garden, but they grow wild out in the in the woods a lot of times. Oh, a hydrangea. Uh, hydrangea, yeah. Uh, and you will find those. Uh, yeah, you got. I'm, I'm yeah. taking back. I'm like, yeah. well, that's not wild what I hydrangea. thought was going to be yeah. said. Okay, wild <laughs> hydrangea, and they will tear them up early. Uh, and it, it's those are usually the ones that when you see them just beat up and banged up and broke off. Uh, in September, uh, if you find that, uh, you found a, a pretty good buck, more than likely, or, or a, a, an older age class buck that's got a high testosterone level at that early stage. But most of the time, if you're finding just a single one, it's probably he's, if you don't find um, like the shed um, velvet or something with it, more than likely he's just um, working it as he passes along. I, I don't really put a whole lot of stock into it. The only thing you can think, and this is what I told somebody else that asked me what they could get out of an early rub, is you know that by, at this point in time, um, a mature buck just isn't moving very far. Um, if if you find a, a, a rub right now, he's probably pretty close by. You know, That's the way I look at it at least. Uh, and that's been my, I guess, maybe what I've discovered 
is they just don't move this much. They're they're conserving energy more than anything. And if you find one really close to water, a water source, something like that, this time of year when it's really really dry, mm-hmm. you're probably pretty close to a to a buck. And that's why the one I found today, I I pinned it. I know right to where it's at. It was fresh. It was in two days. I don't think that buck is too far from that. I just don't know what size, you know, what class buck that is, you know. Now I I want to talk about also like these early season rubs or like what we sometimes would call whip rubs is the different damage you can see on some of these rubs. Because some of them you will find, it could be, again, the size of your pinky, and it's just kind of skinned up, okay? And then you have some that's maybe the size of your pinky or as big as your thumb, or maybe even a little bit bigger. Maybe not bigger than your thumb, but maybe the size of your, like your thumb, maybe, that it is rubbed, but then the top of it snapped off and broken out. Like, you know, sometimes they'll do it. It seems like they'll do it with, like, different, like, shrub bushes per se and maybe not like an actual like sapling tree but they're like it seems like they twist their antlers up in it and they like rip the top of it off does anything like that weigh more heavily for you as in like more valuable than another one as in like that kind of damage that you could see specifically on some of those early yeah i mean yeah definitely the damage to the top i mean because you gotta think if he's already got that much testosterone that you know built up that he's that excited or that amped up, uh, then more than likely he's he's a higher caliber, you know, age class buck mm-hmm. in, in that prime, you know, because you just don't find that very often. When you do, you need to really pay attention to it because it just doesn't, you just don't see it that much. More often than not, you're just finding the one that's just skin up, kind of like the one I did today. It's just he brushed over it two or three times just in passing. coming out, He was coming out of a little thermal hub. That was the only one in the area. If that had been something nearby that he'd have broke up, really tore up or something like that, that would have really got me excited. And I would have, you know, that's something you can, you can definitely, you know, especially if it's near, if it, if I could have found it where it was near feed, uh, like just off a of feed. And so he's hanging around that feeding area and he's getting really amped up. He's got that testosterone level, even though can't breed right now. There's, you know, there's no does in heat. It's just that, He's showing off dominance early is the way I look at that. Is is he's saying to everybody else, you know, this is what I can do, you know. That so yeah, I definitely put a, a lot more weight in in the one that's you know, is is beat up rather than one that's just kind of rubbed just for the heck of it. And that's the way I look at him, you know. Uh I'm curious about uh as we kind of step into this hunt. It's Wednesday, we're hunting till Sunday. And uh it so pretty short hunt, you know, we got a couple days to get it done here. And we, we've been talking about what we all want to do in the morning. And I think everyone kind of agreed, like, hey, let's wake up, get some coffee and breakfast in us, and then let's hit the woods and start and start looking. You know, not necessarily diving in anywhere blind, trying to kill something in the morning. Like, let's hit the woods and, and scout our way into some stuff. So, uh, Shane, can you – I'm, I'm curious about your mindset going into tomorrow where, you know – Andrew, two years ago, I would, I would have been up at four o'clock in the morning and I would have been up on that mountain right there, you know, way before daylight, you know, just sitting on nothing, you know, just like went just up there. Shaking hands with the timber rattlesnakes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, just like just totally beating the bushes, like getting up the mountain, probably blowing out all the deer. Uh, so, like, I'm curious about what your mindset is. And I'm also really curious about, like, what do you need to see tomorrow? that is going to be that is going to get you like Friday I'm killing something here or t- or tomorrow yeah, afternoon yeah. I'm killing something here. Yeah. Well, I, I used to be the same way. I mean, I would I would and I I'm still find myself doing it now. I get so excited that I just can't wait and I end up 
burning myself out or overexerting myself and really in, even in a, even in a short period hunt uh so, so let's say you're just a weekend warrior and so you're 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 putting together um just stacking short-term hunts every weekend on top of each other you're unless you really have really good intel you're better off spending one of those days scouting to find something really good and hunting that one day off of that really good sign rather than trying to just throw a crap hunt out mm-hmm. just for the heck of it and then and then you've lost that day that you could gain intel you know so right now i don't have anything here what i thought i might find looking at a topographical map doesn't compare to boots on the ground so i've got to put boots on the ground um basically to find what i'm looking for which is just something fresh that that i know is fresh feed sign could be rubs we see in deer so you know if you're seeing deer i want to go to where i'm seeing deer you know and so we know where there's deer here so now we just got to backtrack where they're coming from you know because we know where they're at we saw them this afternoon just driving the roads so now then we just got to backtrack that to where they are at a at a point in time that we can intercept them so that's basically what i'm trying to do right now i'm trying to take the intel that we saw deer and tomorrow i'm gonna go see if i can find out where those deer are coming from so i can set up some sort of intercept you know, either tomorrow afternoon or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, one of those days. And I may have to scout. I may have to scout all day tomorrow. I may not hunt at all tomorrow either. You know, I may I may just um, scout in the morning, and I may just kind of slip hunt and, and still hunt tomorrow afternoon until I get into a spot that I feel. So it may take that. It may take me bouncing around two or three different places, you know, till I find what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know there's deer here, so now we just got to figure out where can we intercept those deer at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually love what you just said about uh, like the weekend warrior thing because we've hit on that a whole bunch of times. You know, we've talked about that where I mean, because that's my situation 100% right now uh, is every weekend you're kind of starting over because whatever you found on Saturday and Sunday, well, you just gave it five days off and then you go back in there the following Saturday and it's different, you know, and you're kind of starting over. And, you know, sometimes that's not always the case. I mean, sometimes you find something that's good for longer, but a lot of times you're just starting right back over, like square one. And you're kind of like what I get in the rut of a lot of times is I'll find something one weekend and then I'll go back the following weekend and I burn my Saturday on that. And I'm like, I'm like, okay so there's no deer here anymore like something has changed they're not coming through like and i basically burn my saturday don't get any new intel and then sunday i'm trying to find something and then you get in this like kind of vicious cycle and you end up wasting like the rut or something you know worst case scenario that that's happened to me a lot over the years so like what you're saying that's something that like i've i've adopted a little bit over the years like when i have the discipline to do that because that's kind of hard for me to do but when i when I do it successfully, I, I like almost always end up having success, you know, and it's just like kind of holding yourself to that standard and, and making yourself go out there and do that. Um, Jacob, I'm curious about you too, by the way. So kind of the, the way this, this hunt's working, we got some guys helping us in camp this week, uh, which I think you'll hear them on a, on another podcast soon. But, uh, so we got camera guys that are helping, uh, Shane, you're going to have one with you, Jacob, you're going to have one with you. And then I'm just going to kind of float around and just do something. Um, but Jacob, what is your mindset 
for tomorrow. Kind of same question. I'm curious about what you want to look for. You're brand new to the place. This is your first like bow hunt of the year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you need to see tomorrow to get you like really fired up other than like a black bear? Oh, man. <laughs> and, dude, if we go slipping through mid-morning tomorrow, because I'm taking my bow when we're scouting. If we, if, dude, if we find a black bear feeding on Oak Flat or something, or hickory, dude, we are putting the stalk two, on. Two weeks ago, I was on the phone with him. He's like, I'd be fine if we didn't see a bear this whole trip. But I don't care nothing about shooting a bear with a bow. I think he's scared of them. And now, but now you got that confidence, baby. Yeah, Let's go. Man, we're running a sever through something. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, dude, oh, that would be so awesome. I told you, did you, did you, your phone cut out? I think, I think I lost you earlier. I told you to go buy me a black hoodie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cause, cause, I, I see a black bear on, a, on an oak. This probably is You're, you're going to square them shoulders up and go walk into the just, woods just at Just start slipping in with a black hoodie. You want me to get you a big bowie knife, too? <laughs> go after. No, but um, no, that that would be very exciting. God, I'd love that. But no, um, what I would feel like more confident on is trying to find, first off, I still want to try to hopefully find a few trees. Like we found wild oaks that were dropping today. They were like we were sitting there and we were listening and seeing them drop. Okay, it wasn't a ton, but they were dropping. I could find them on the ground, and there was feeds on there. It just wasn't in a spot that I expect a buck to use. Too far in the bottom. It's too far away from potential bedding sites. I don't think they're bedding specifically in those tight bottoms right there. Um, so it's just it's not the right location. But I think if we can find a similar situation higher in elevation, potentially closer to some quality bedding areas, I think I'd feel very confident, even in the situation, if there wasn't whip rubs close by, but there was heavy feed sign, and specifically if we could cut some kind of tracks, or if there was old licking branches or something in the general area, like on a little shelf or something, I would feel confident enough to throw a sit at it, and do almost like an observation hunt for an afternoon. And seeing if we can lay eyes on, maybe he doesn't come to that specific tree, those specific trees close to us, but see if we can lay eyes or hear deer movement, you know, maybe a little bit further off that we can then key in on for the following hunt or the following day and slip in there and scout that spot. Um, So I I would be, you know, pretty excited about finding something like that in the area where there's, again, you're having that high traffic. But the problem is this whole place has high traffic. I mean, everywhere I've gone, you know, which hasn't been a ton, but every place I've stepped foot on, I'm like, 10 years off the road. I'm like, this is a hell of a trail. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, there ain't that many hiking trails in this place. I guarantee it. And I'm like, no, this is all deer trails and bear trails. But, um, but ideally it would be like my thought process is right here behind us. I, I want to go run up that, you know, that ridge system. Yeah. I think that's what I'm doing. And, um, and, and check out a couple different spots where you have some of these very subtle drainages running up. That you know, you kind of looked at some of that some of that ridge line, but you didn't look at the whole thing. But I think you can find spots up there, in around some of the rock outcroppings, where potentially, if you find one of those white oaks that's getting a lot of sunlight, that potentially could start dropping a little bit early, you could find like an isolated little pocket of deer movement where they're like like maybe there's a lot of deer down low coming down, but maybe that mature buck's maybe a little bit higher up on that isolated food source that he's hitting before he drops down after dark and, and you know, feeding on other food sources down the bottoms. Um, and, and that's kind of what, you know, I'm kind of looking for. Because to be honest, with there being so many deer out here, I kind of want to get in a spot, this may sound crazy, where you don't have a whole bunch of eyes and ears and noses, like, potentially messing with you. Like, if you could find that isolated buck, where, like, you kind of get in the spot, like, okay, there's a lack of sign, and all of a sudden you start getting into some of that fresh buck sign, potentially getting an opportunity that, you know, you're not going to be in a spot where you have – 10 deer underneath you on a feed tree before that buck ever steps out. 
and, you know, 10 does and some young bucks and stuff. So, um, to me, that would be like an ideal situation is kind of find that isolated little pocket, uh, with some subtle bucks on that's just getting touched up by a few deer, but it's not like every deer in the County is on that specific spot. Cause like where I found today, like the feed sign I found today, you could tell like, the deer been feeding there, but it's not been like a bunch of deer. It's probably just been a handful of deer there. And there was some, you know, you know, punch hole tracks and stuff in the ground, but there was nothing there that told me like, again, a buck's going to be using this during the day. He might be there at, you know, 11 o'clock tonight, but you know, more than likely he's gonna be higher up on the ridge. And I still haven't, you know, checked that spot off, you know, completely. Um, without, you know, going back in there. The only problem is on that spot, you know, some of these areas you can kind of come in, you can come in a couple of different ways, you know, up and down in elevation over there. There's only one way in and one way out. Yeah. And, uh, it's going to be pretty freaking rough to get to where I probably need to be to kind of find the sign I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes in areas like this, where you have that steep terrain, where you know, they're at, you're almost danged if you do danged, if you don't, you know, because they're in a position that they're basically bomb proof for your access so a lot of times it's just you know that you, you have to i don't know you have to not put yourself in the mindset of that's where i've got to go because a lot of times that's just you know leading you down a path that you're not you know you're not going to see anything you're going to blow them out you're going to do this you're going to do that you're especially when it's hot like this and you're trying to to hike up a you know side of a, a steep bluff or something like that you know it, it a lot of times, sometimes it's just not worth it, you know, but, you know, that's that's just kind of the way early season hunting is, is a lot of times that you get suckered in by that, you know. Yeah, and see, like, what, one thing I was hoping to find, and maybe we find this at some point in the hunt, is where you find those whip rubs, but some kind of whip rubs that's showing a, a, a point of travel, or path of travel, up and down in elevation or even side hilling. Side hilling would be great too, but really up and down in elevation that you can kind of like backtrack up a little bit, even though the deer aren't traveling very far, trying to give you an idea of, of where that buck's going. Not, not like in your situation where there was just a single rub, but like where you can find, you know, a few of them in that spot. And, you know, I hit so many little sapling tickets today that just like, you know, we're back home in Alabama. And if it was, you know, at least where we're at, you know, two weeks later from now, those those little they'd be they'd be littered with rubs. Like they, they, there'd be bucks about all sizes. It's just, rub city, baby. Yeah, and like as high as the deer numbers are, I kept going coming up to some of those little pockets, and I'm like, I'll kept I'll just be scanning like, where's the rub at? And like they're not, it's not there, it's not there. And you just kept leapfrogging, it's like not there. I'm like, man, which makes me think because we cover the bottom, there's deer. There's a lot of deer in that spot, but. And I found some, I found some sign like some bigger droppings and stuff like that, some fresher droppings. Cause like we were finding some smaller droppings and then we found some of those as, you know, like cut the, you know, that first joint of your pinky off on the ground that was fresh. And it was two piles, same size, about like 80 to hundred yards apart. And like this one little ridge point dropped off. And I looked up there and it was gnarly where it came from. Okay. But if I got up another 150, 200 feet in elevation and started side healing, I might would find some of that sign that we're talking about, some of those whip rubs and stuff like that, potentially higher up. It's just, you got to get there. And like Shane said, you know, you can get up there, but, you know, depending on how open some of that train is, because one thing we've realized here, there's some part, there's some pockets of this, of this timber on this property. It's extremely wide open, extremely open timber. And there's other places like where I went this afternoon, it was complete opposite. I mean, you could have had a bear 25 or 30 yards from me in some of these spots and like you couldn't see the freaking bear he'd be 450 pounds um 
So it just as you go up in elevation, if it starts getting more open where they're truly betting with a visual advantage, it's going to be very hard to find the sign, I think, without him potentially seeing you from higher elevation because, like, that's one thing that hurt us tonight is when we bumped some of these does is they were bedded on a very, very steep, not a bluff, but it's a crazy steep ridgeline hillside uh, to the point that you're like, how is the earth s still sitting there? Because it looks soft. But like, if any rain comes, it should just fall down, okay? <laughs> and they were, like, bedding where they could see way down into this bottom. I mean – you know, way, way, way down says Bob, and they like hear you, see you, and all of a sudden you see a flicker of movement and a tail and a you know, you know, a you know, skint head, and uh, and they'd be going over the top. So, um, anyways, that that's kind of just my thought process going into it. But one thing, Shane, I, I, I wanted to kind of get into this. Like Andrew kind of brought up the whole thermal hub thing. My thing isn't necessarily with the hundred percent with the thermal hubs, but it's like with the thermal hubs and these micro drainages and stuff. One thing out here that we've noticed, and, I th and Seth, I think, saw this as well tonight, is how much thermals play advantage, specifically in the evenings in some of these areas. When you start getting on the backside of one of these really steep ridges, and it gets you know shaded there a lot earlier than you would be on like a sun-exposed ridge. Like we came around, we were working around this side of this, uh, you know, working up this creek drainage, side hilling, and it was just stagnant air, nothing was moving, and we got to right where one of these drainages, these bigger drainages, cut up you know, a couple of ridge from us. And right when we're coming around into that, where I can barely start seeing, you can start feeling that airflow just start coming down, coming rushing right down that drainage. And it's complete opposite wind direction as what it was supposed to be today. But you could just tell with nothing else moving, that was the thermals dropping down. It was still probably an hour and 15 minutes before, you know, you know, dark. Um, what is your take in like this kind of train? Because this is something that like, you know, we're able to kind of experience this. I mean, this is probably the steepest stuff you've ever hunted in, right? Because you never hunted with me in Arkansas or anything like that, right? I mean, outside of some parts of Alabama, but this is still steeper than some of that stuff, I'll be honest. Yeah, it probably is. Uh, but, I mean, Shane, like, what is your take on, like, the thermal switch aspect? Because we've kind of texted about this between, like, mornings, you know, it's not just that daylight starts rising, okay? Not in every situation. And the evenings is not just at last light, it starts dropping. What is your take in, like, this kind of steep terrain and stuff in these micro drainages and thermal hubs and how all that plays a, you know, plays a part of everything? Well, I mean, you can't go in with an idea of I'm going to hunt this because I believe that the thermals are going to be doing whatever they should be doing at that period of time. Like, whatever you have in your mind, you can't go into an area with that opinion set in stone to hang here no matter what. you gotta you got to go into each area and and, and test the thermals milkweed, whatever, wind floaters, whatever you're doing in each different area. Because otherwise, you know, if you just go into an area and say, well, it's 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 facing the east and the thermals should be dropping an hour and a half before, day, you know, before, before sunset. And you get in there and let's say that, that, that thermal drop has been doing that all day, you know, and you've been working in this thermal hub, uh, for a couple hours working your way down in it well you've basically eliminated everything that's below you already so it, it you you really have to it's about timing and it's about getting in there and making sure that your, your your thermals are doing what you think they're doing and not just what you assume they do you know i think a lot of people make an assumption about thermals that at a certain period of time they kick on at a certain period of time they kick off and that's not really the case you can be in an area that you would assume that the thermals are rising or falling and it can be just the opposite just depend on you know 
uh, temperature, cloud cover, wind direction, all these different things play a factor into it, and you can't just make an assumption ahead of time that, that it's going to be what it's going to be, you or, know. Or even on the assumption, not even like as technical as there's a certain time it's going to switch, but, you know, I was grow- uh, growing up, I was taught this, that, you know, you hunt high in the mornings and you hunt low in the evenings, okay? And, and like it was never like because of thermals, it's just that's what you do. It was never like, oh, it's because of thermals you do this. It's because, you know, my uncles never call it thermals. They just call it, you know, air rises, warm air rises in the morning, cool air falls in the evening and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's not even that simple because, like, we've done a video on this, Shane. We did a we did a reel on this on uh, Instagram and Facebook where we went to a, a state park in Alabama that's not necessarily – you can draw you, – anyways, it's quite a hunt for that place and we were scouting the north facing slope north facing ridge system real steep stuff some big bluffs and it was 10 o'clock when we were walking in there into the spot and it was still a falling thermal zero wind it was like light and variable conditions this is really when this stuff kind of plays under factor we're talking about is light and variable conditions when there's less wind speed than two to three miles an hour typically you're going to start seeing more of a stronger thermal pool and on that that shaded side of that mountain side that we were walking on that north facing slope, it still had a falling thermal at 10, 10 30 in the morning. And there were some comments on there like, that's not possible. It's supposed to rise in the morning. That's like, that's not how thermals work. Thermals rise in the morning, fall in the evening. There was a, quite a few comments on that. We had a bunch of messages, had a recent message that came on that. That was from like a year ago. Okay. So it, it, it's kind of interesting, and not to blame anybody, because some people, you just don't know this until you've actually gone out there and you hear other people talk about it, and you actually go out there and experience it, and you can kind of see it for yourself. But, like, in an area like this, when you start, or in any area that's very steep country with a lot of elevation game, to me, that's where you see this as more of a factor than, say, if you're hunting flat lands or very gentle rolling hills. Like, very gentle rolling hills, maybe 60 foot of elevation gain and drop. The sun, when the sun gets up like 7 o'clock in the morning, 7.30 in the morning, especially like early season, you're probably going to have a rise in thermal if it's light and variable conditions because the sun can the sun can heat up all that ground. There's no like shade because of a north-facing slope if it's very gentle rolling hills. But in stuff like this, it's just not the factor. Yeah. You've got, you've got way more shaded areas, especially, you know, steeper terrain. It cuts that, that angle of the sun off, especially now because the sun is starting to get an even steeper angle. So as you go further into uh, fall and winter, uh, that angle is going to cut even more. So uh, steeper terrain at that point in time, especially depending on what it, you know, if it's, uh, you know, you're on the north side of a steep of a steep face, you're going to be, you know, it's going to start even sooner, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely steeper terrain is going to is going to uh, generate a uh, a quicker uh, um, thermal drop. Uh, and it's going to prevent a, a, a an earlier thermal rise as well. A lot of times it'll just completely negate it altogether. You know, like a lot of the areas that I've hunted in, the north facing slopes, they never. I mean, they're 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 constantly. It didn't matter if they have no leaves on them. There's no sun. There's no sun. You know, so they're constantly dropping uh, dropping a thermal. You know, and it's the same thing. I did the same thing as you on another whole other different piece of of property of public land and did the same thing one thirty in the middle of the day and I'm sitting in the sun and I've got dropping thermals and it had all to do with the pull of what was below me it had nothing to do with my conditions it's just that what was below me was so much cooler than where I was mm-hmm. that it pulled that air down even though I had a wind that I could have raised my hand up 
and touch that was moving the opposite direction, I still had that thermal pull there because what was below me was 10 degrees to 12 degrees cooler mm-hmm. than where I was sitting in that in that sun. And so it just sucked everything down to it. So a lot of it, like I said, it's just you have to experience that to really trust it because uh, like like you said, a lot of people commented on that video and said, well, there's no way. But and I was there. You know, I know what it'll do. You know, people, you know, unless you've got like 10-mile-an-hour wind that's really just going to overpower the thermals altogether, um, something like that, when you've got a 10-degree to 12-degree temperature drop that's 20 feet under you, you're going to have that thermal pull that's, yeah. that's way stronger than any light and variable winds can ever you know, counteract. Well, it's like we've saw this in another piece of public in uh, in in Alabama where you had mountain laurel up against open hardwood timber, and in that open hardwood timber, and this kind of like a you know eastern facing slope, the open hardwood timber, you'd be standing there and you could feel light barrel condition day. You know, very low wind speed, less than two mile an hour wind speed that day. You could feel that rising thermal when you were just on the like just above the edge of that mountain laurel. Mountain laurel is real thick, you know, six, eight foot tall, uh, real big mountain laurel. And, um, you know, the kind of, you can actually kind of walk underneath a little bit of that stuff. And you can feel that rising thermal right there. The second you get about five to 10 yards into that mountain laurel, it was the complete opposite pulling straight down to the bottom to the little, the little drainage down below you. Um, and it was like that all the way to the bottom until you went down the bottom, came up the other side, still pulling thermal until you got above the mountain laurel and then because you got because mountain laurel for people that don't understand what mountain laurel is, is a very very dense green uh, kind of a shrub plant that you know some places it may only grow three or four feet tall, and other places it could get you know six eight feet tall in some places. Uh, rhododendron can be very similar as well. Rhododendron can get a lot bigger as well, and you find it in Appalachian Mountains, Appalachian Mountains. I'm sorry, guys. Um, and uh, the well, second. So that spot too, by the way, uh-huh. another factor in that particular spot, it wasn't just the mountain laurel, but the creek that was coming down in that drainage was groundwater. It was flowing right out of the side of the mountain. And it's a pretty big creek. Like, you know what creek it is. Uh, and I can't name it. But that creek was coming down, and the, the water itself is, like, very cold. <laughs> so cold. And this was And this was in the summer. I yeah. mean, this is like, or this is in May. And, yeah, I mean, it's, like, hot outside. But you stick your hand in that water. I mean, it is, like, cold, cold. And man, the the that thermal drop coming down that drainage was like it was like a cold breeze, man. It was like air conditioning. Yeah. We got in there and we didn't want to leave. We we're like, man, we just hang out down I'm, here for I'm a like, while. I'm like, I guarantee there's no cotton mouse in this stuff because it's too cold <laughs> for them. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, tread yeah. with confidence. Yeah, for sure. But but it's it's so fascinating. Like when you're able to go out there and experience some of this stuff, and this is one reason why I like to kind of have these conversations on podcasts. Is, you know, maybe this gives somebody give a different perspective of where they hunt. And, and, you know, another thing is the leaf on conditions versus leaf off conditions of how quickly thermals can switch or, or not switch or how much they can be delayed. You know, leaf on, and Shane, I'd love for you to talk about this. Like, what, what have you seen, like, with leaf on conditions, you know, compared to leaf off conditions with, you know, the thermal switching for a rising thermal or a falling thermal specifically? Well, I mean, with, with, with you know, when, when leaf on, um, a lot of times you'll get you can you can get into a position where you think you've got a rising thermal and you may you may have a rising thermal but you've also got a canopy above you so you can be sitting in a rising thermal that's going up and you put your milkweed out and it goes 8 feet over your head and then starts to drift but at some point in time 
you're going to probably have that thermal drop again because it can't just rise into infinity, especially when you have a canopy. So a lot of times, leaf on will give you the impression when you have a rising thermal that you're safe. You know, that, that your your thermals are rising to, you know, above the canopy and flying way off. But 100 yards away from you can be an area of dense uh, coniferous trees or something like that that have cool, have damp. Because uh, what happens is, and this is what happens under um, under the um, uh, rhododendron mm-hmm. and the mountain laurel, the ground underneath them stay moist. It, it captures all the moisture. Well, that cools the ground temperature. And so same thing with pines, like thick, thick pine trees. Um, if they if they close off that canopy enough and they can uh, you know keep the soil moisture uh, in the ground, in that area, they're going to pull thermals. So you can be sitting next to one of those and you can have rising thermals and that buck can be coming. You can be expecting him to come in the direction that, you know, where that, that area of mm-hmm. thick, uh, cooled ground is and your thermals can be dropping there. So what went up eventually came down right into his path. So that's one thing that you can get kind of suckered into with, with, um, with leaf on condition is thinking that, oh, you know, my thermals are rising here and I got this canopy up here. It's, it's always rising. So, uh, and, and, and the opposite true, you could also have it in reverse to where the, the canopy covers up. You have the, the, the dropping thermals and your thermals drop to an area and they hit sunlight and they rise. So it's one of those things where you can't always assume that you have the same conditions throughout the entire forest. And that's the way a lot of people hunt yep. uh, is they think that what the conditions that you're seeing where you're at is, are going to be the same a hundred yards, 150 yards, 50 yards from you can be completely different. So uh, you all have done the different podcast would, I think it was uh, Aaron Denny Mm-hmm. that talked about the wind, the turbulence, and stuff like that, how that, that really affects, you know, from from where you're at to, to the ridge next door to you can be completely different, but you don't know where your scent is going at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Same thing, leaf-off conditions. A lot of people assume once you have leaf-off that you're just going to have rising thermals everywhere. And like we said, north-facing, south-facing, east-facing, west-facing thermals, Anywhere you can have shade, um, you can have a south-facing uh, um, drainage that has leaf-off conditions on it, and you can still have uh, dropping thermals in that area. Uh, it's not always the, the 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 there's not a time for them to kick in. Uh, of course, you're going to get the the rising thermals at the higher elevations once that sun hits, but a lot of people think it just kicks in just instantly, like once the sun hits the ground. And it starts warming up, uh, you're you're getting rising thermals. But a lot of times it takes hours to get that ground, especially if you have a heavy frost. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a while to burn that frost off. That frost uh, has to come off first before the ground will ever heat up because it's insulating the ground. So you have to burn that frost off, and then you have to heat the ground up again, a ground that has been basically insulated by the frost. So... It, it's it's not just uh, this time it's going to kick in, this time it's not. It's going to be here, it's going to be there. It, it's why we get busted. You know, if you really, if you get busted by a deer and you don't know it, 
you you're set up in a perfect condition you're hunting a, and you're not considering thermals and you never see that buck more than likely you're in a good position he just busted you and more than likely had something to do with thermals and you weren't aware of it you know Shane let me ask you this uh I, I want you to kind of explain this because I, I mean I, I I know the answer to this question but some people may not um talk about when it comes to thermals like how for we're talking specifically like a rising thermal the like how the the, the earth the, the the soil the ground actually has to warm in order for that rising thermal to actually happen i mean can can you just kind of go into a little bit of that for us for cuz i mean you just mentioned it like with the frost and everything but that's that that's the situation specifically specifically in areas like in like heavy you know canopy cover the sunlight has to penetrate through the canopy, through the mid-story canopy, to the to the the understory in order for it to heat up, in order for that rising thermal to start happening. So it's like stages. So I mean, could you kind of maybe go in some details on that and just like the the importance of like thinking about that, like the sunlight actually has to hit the ground in order for it to have start having a rising thermal, or you know, you could be thirty feet up a tree and maybe thirty yeah. feet up up in the upper mid-story. Mm-hmm you know canopy you might have a rising thermal but on the ground it's yeah. still falling yeah yeah i mean yeah if, you, if you're up let you know let's say you had 40 percent leaf drop you're, you're halfway through leaf drop and you're sitting 20 feet up in a tree more than likely where you're at you may have you know at, at let's say you're two hours into into uh daylight which is typically a good time that you start getting that frost burn off um let's say it's it's you know you you got out there and it's 30 degrees. You've had a heavy frost. You've got 40% leaf drop and you're 20 feet up in a tree. Two hours into the hunt, at your level, you're probably getting uh, a pretty good uh, thermal rise. Yeah. Uh, but down at, at ground level, it's not, it's not to that point yet. And the problem is to kick off that movement that that buck, to get that buck out of his bed or get him moving or something like that, you're going to have to get that thermal switch at his level. So you can be safe at your level and think, well, this is perfect conditions. Why am I not, you know, why has he not got up yet? Why is he not move? Why am I not seeing movement? That's why morning uh, hunting off of thermals is really like one of those, you're on a knife edge, you know, because it takes, that's, I think that's why we see a lot of that 10 a.m. when it's really perfect temperatures is because that's the time that you're getting that burn off of that frost, that, that temperature's heating up, that let's say he's, he, let's say he's sitting downwind or sitting on a scrape and he's going to J-hook around that scrape. Well, why would he want to do it when he knows that the thermals haven't kicked in and haven't warmed that scrape up enough to get that scent up and moving? So uh, I think that's a lot of the reason why we're seeing that mid-morning, 10.30, 11 o'clock, because that's about the time that you're starting to get that upper elevation. Uh, if it's, if it's you know, if you've got the cooler temperatures, uh, if you had a frost or something like that, which is that, that's, that's when we're hunting in. We're hunting in that November time period, and that's typically the weather you're going to see during that period of time is you're getting those good frosts. You're getting that, that right around freezing temperature. Well, it's going to take about 10 o'clock before that, that upper, say, one-third an elevation is going to warm up enough uh, to get him moving, you know. So I think that I think morning, early, early morning movement 
what I see with my camera data and with just hunting is they're moving up, you know, basically chasing the falling thermals so you can catch them then. But I think that 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, you know, mid-morning time is when they're switching movements from, say, a bed to another bed, and, it, and they're doing in that period of time that that's when you've got that, that thermal uh, basically that, that, that rising thermal is starting to kick in. That's my opinion of why, uh, you know, uh, why that's happening. It's not always the case, but I think that's got a lot to do with it. On a, on a practical level, let, let, let's again use this hunt that we're on right now as, as the example. When you're going in, you know, like people might hear us talk about this and we're like, oh, if you climb this high, the thermal's doing this and then the temperature of the creek and then the dirt over there, you know, like it's it, it's very complicated. So how does that factor in on a practical level when you're out, let's say it's Friday, let's say you go out tomorrow, you find a spot that you want to hunt that you're going to hit on Friday. What it, when it, from a thermal standpoint, what are you looking at? What are all the things that you're trying to consider when you're looking around and you're trying to figure out okay, here's some good deer sign. Which tree am I going to get in? What times am I going to hunt this? Like, how is the weather going to affect it? Like, what is your thought process to actually apply this? Well, um, gosh, that's that's a loaded question right there. You know, <laughs> because it, it goes it, it goes into a lot of different things. I mean, like, like let's, let's take the thermal hub I walked in today. I mean, I plan on going back in there. Um the sign that I saw in there is enough to make me kind of like you, you, it's kind of an area like you were talking about it. Yeah, I think it's got a buck in it and he's probably one or two deer with him. So it, I think it's exactly sets up just like you, you said, as far as when I think he's, if, if he's in there, he's killable, um, is gonna, is gonna depend on, and, and basically I'm, I'm trying to read minimal sign but I'm also trying to figure out exactly what the thermals could be doing to get him up and moving, you know? So I'm looking at, at the terrain, what side I can access. Cause that, I mean, if you have the wrong thermal and your access doesn't factor into that, then you can't really, you know, let, let, let's say you're trying to access a East facing thermal and you know that your only chance to hunt that is in the afternoon, but your access is from the west. You can't do it. I mean, you're, you know, I mean that that that's basically when you're looking at thermals and you're looking at timing them out, is about can I hunt this thermal when it's when it's at its at, at its most huntable position, and can I access it in the right way? I think is that kind of answering your question? What you're kind of looking for? Because because if if you're trying to hunt a west facing thermal, west facing thermals, what I I look at them as really good morning thermals because you're most most deer are trying to work with that falling thermal. That west facing thermal hub is is going to have falling thermals later in the morning, so that buck can access those l later in the day. That's why those to me have produced the the best rut sign but if you can't access that if you can only access that that west facing thermal hub from the west you're basically chasing the buck or chasing the deer the direction he's going 
So when I'm looking at thermals and I'm looking at the conditions that I can hunt them in, it's all about can I access, can I get to, into position to take advantage of it, basically. So if I know the thermals are, are dropping in this west-facing thermal, but I can only access it from the west, then I'm going to eliminate that one. Now, to clarify yeah. for the listeners real quick, when you say west-facing thermal, you're talking a west-facing slope, west-facing thermal hub, or just a, a a area that the thermals, because of, say, like a rising thermal coming from the east in the morning, you're going to have that dropping thermal on that western side. Basically, I'm, uh, when I say west-facing thermal, the, the opening or the dump-out point, the end point, the head is the beginning of the thermal hub, is like up in elevation. Mm-hmm. So it so it's 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 flowing to the west, southwest, northwest. It's got a western component to it. Those are probably are, in the morning are going to be shaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, you know, west facing. If it's facing northwest, southwest, or west, uh, it's not going to get that sun early in the morning. So that's why west facing thermal hubs, from my camera data produce almost 10 times as much daylight activity when it's huntable as any other. So morning time, west-facing thermal hubs. Uh, East-facing, if you're looking at afternoon Mm -hmm. hunting. So what I'm saying is if you can't access them from the direction that you... You need to be able to access an east-facing thermal hub from the east because you're going thermals are coming to you you're going into them yeah and when you're talking about yeah. it, it, just for like to help listeners kind of clear or get a better picture of what we're talking about here like a west facing thermal hub that that lowest point of that thermal hub where all those drainages are coming together is facing somewhere to the west southwest you know west northwest um that's that low point that creek drainage whatever that is right there east facing you know thermal hub uh, all those finger points are, you know, to the west. They're dropping down to the east, to the lowest point, and that's the spot that a buck can go through and check out, and he can scent everything up above him, you know, higher up in that thermal yeah. hub. Yeah, yeah. Basically, basically, you're looking at those as they're they're used completely opposite. One is used for upward movement, and one is used for downward movement or cross movement. South facing thermal hubs, you know pretty much are used up and down what i see uh they're not used much in the bottom um and those of course you have to that you know if you've got a south that's uh, i know y'all have seen my stuff if you're if you're dealing with a the south facing thermal hub they're really really tricky to get in and out of because you really have to be on point with you have to know going in um or have a good idea where that buck is within that, that south-facing thermal hub. And the same thing with the west and the east and north. They're all the same, but you but access is key. You can't access a west-facing thermal hub from the west because you're basically chasing the deer up. Uh, same thing from the east. You can't access an east-facing thermal hub from the west either. So um, you're you're basically bumping the deer down the down the thermal hub yeah. more than likely, you know. Now, also, well, I've got a, I've got a question for you because I've talked like Bo, I've been on Bo's podcast. I know you had a two part episode on Bo's podcast, East Meets West, about thermal hubs, and it was a really good episode. But one one thing that I've always because Bo asked me about thermal hubs, and I told him I've you know Andrew, like Andrew growing up, you know he was talking about like early in the podcast 
we always used to call those bowls. Andrew, you know, always used to be called bowls, you know, what a thermal hub was, where you have all these all these drainages, all these little ridge points dropping out to one specific spot. And typically it's an area you have a lot of swirling winds in those, especially if it's a tight thermal hub. What is the conditions you need for you to feel like say you have a buck pattern that's using one of those thermal hubs, whether it's west facing or east facing specifically. Uh what conditions do you need Taking out, you know, the buck's daylighting, he's showing up on camera. What kind of wind conditions, wind speeds do you need, or lack of wind speeds do you need to be able to hunt that? And how far down into the bottom are you going versus, you know, one of the major ridge points dropping down into it? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it depends on the direction, of course, they are. If it's a west-facing one and I'm hunting it in the, in the morning, um, you're, you're not going to get down in that thermal up. You're, you're not going to get anywhere near the bottom. Uh, you're going to hunt one of those secondary points. That's the way I look at it, um, because you're if you once you drop to a certain point, um, and it's all about timing too. But you have you got to think about it like this: if that buck is lower than you, and you're above him, and you got and you know you got dropping thermals till midday mm-hmm. in a west facing thermal hub. A lot of times it's midday before they switch. What would make you want to get down in that thermal hub? knowing that he's coming the way to you and your sin is going to him. So it just doesn't make sense. So it, it west, they're really good for morning hunts, but you have to have a higher wind speed and you have to stay higher up on the in the elevation. You can't get down in the bottom of that. So I want something seven, eight, nine mile an hour, and I want to stay in the upper one-third because that's where he's wanting to get to. Mm-hmm. He's wanting to get to that upper one-third. Why do you want to get down in the lower one-third with him? You know, that makes no sense. You know, so I'm going to stay up where he's wanting to go, which he's wanting to go in that upper one third. And, and I'm going to do it with a seven or eight, nine, nine, 10, 12, you know, higher, higher, the better usually, um, in those areas. Mm-hmm. So anything, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything under a five mile an hour wind. Cause it's more than likely if you get down to that, that where that one third breaks off into that two thirds, your sin is going to the bottom. And there's no there's no way to to counteract it. Now for an east, I don't want any wind. Mm-hmm. I want it as stagnant as it can possibly get. What I've seen on with my camera data is those east facing thermal hubs. Once you get wind into them, you're going to have swirling. You're going to have just awful. You're going to, you know, it 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 just if you have unless you have an east facing an east wind, and an east wind just kind of closes most all movement down a lot. So you don't really want that. But if you've got anything else in an east-facing thermal hub, you're going to have some issues. You can get down in the bottom of an east-facing thermal hub, um, but you've got to have no wind. Because that, that's the only thing that really – got to think about it like this. If, if he's up in that thermal hub and, and all the winds are swirling around him, why does he want to get down in the bottom? Mm-hmm. He don't need to. He's getting everything right there. But if that wind's not moving and he's trying to get everything in that thermal hub, he's got to get that in the bottom of it. So no wind for an east-facing thermal hub. And I'm not going to get up in the thermal hub. I'm going to get to a point where I, I think he's crossing. You know, like you can't push all the way up into it. You can't push up into any thermal hub. Like I know that thermal hubs are really popular to- topic. Of course, it's like the I think I think oh. I think there'll be thirty five people in every thermal <laughs> hub in on this place. You know, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, Paul, I go yeah. back to Paul's uh, messages in our yeah. group where he's like, dude, I'm not even going to hunt thermal hubs this no. year. He's like, every podcast is talking about thermal hubs. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and it's like, it's one of those things we just dropped an episode a few weeks ago about the time this episode came out with a, it's a repeat episode with a Josh Driver, episode, one, original episodes, episode 141, the new episodes, uh, 512. 512, yeah. Um, and he was the first guy I ever heard use the term thermal hub, high crow's foot, social hubs, all that kind of stuff. Because, again, growing up, we always heard bowls. And that was like 2019 when we heard him really talk about that. And it kind of changed our perspective a little bit. Because it always seems like they're, they're awesome spots to run trail cameras in. But it's like I've always had terrible luck actually hunting them. Like when Bo asked me, what's your thoughts on thermal hubs? I'm like, I don't want to touch a thermal hub. I just don't feel confident in it. Uh, now – after having a lot more confidence in like understanding the actual thermal aspect of it and how much that plays a factor for it, I feel more confident. But, you know, two years ago, no way. Like, I just, you know, every time I'd go into one of the spots, you get deer blowing at you from every direction because more than likely, you know, you're hunting, you know, one of these thermal hubs that sets up for really bad swirling winds, especially with a rising or falling thermal. And it's like any deer in that general area is catching that swirling wind. So that deer might be 300 yards from you, which he thinks upwind, but that wind's kicking down yeah. and shooting right back up back that drain. It's going right to him. Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it's timing and wind direction. It, it, you know, like you can hunt them, but it's only specific times that you can do it. And I'm not really hunting them. You know, I hang a lot of cameras in them because, dang, they work. You know, like you want to get deer on camera, find you a thermal hub, you know. Like that, that's, that's especially a mature buck and, and, but they're not all created the same. They got to have thick cover or they got to be really steep. Like you can't, you can't go out and find a thermal hub that has no cover in it and is just kind of open. Like and not it's, steep. it's not steep. Yeah. I mean, you may have small bucks, you may have does and stuff like that using it, but you're not going to have the really mature buck using it. But hunting them, again, it's wind conditions. It's snowing the condition. A lot of times you can't hunt like a west-facing thermal one. I mean, a lot of times it does take to that midday. That that That's what I like to do. It, you know, like last year, the, the buck I shot or missed, don't know what I did. Yeah. It was 1 o'clock before I could get in there to hunt him because that's when the thermal shifted, and it was a west-facing thermal hub, and he did exactly what I thought he was going to do. Let's know? talk about that because yeah. you didn't talk about that last time we had I don't. Him. I don't think we talked about it on the podcast, yes. did we? No, I, I no, so. absolutely not because we haven't had him on since that happened other than that time you had him on in the springtime. Yep. Like yeah, in yeah. whatever yep. that was. Um, so, Sh- Shane, walk us through that hunt, at least on like what was the – camera pattern like what was the pattern you were getting on this deer of how this buck was used because he was a really big buck uh potentially still is a really big buck you know you know i don't know have you got him on camera i haven't seen him on camera okay yeah so i'm i'm assuming that he's he expired you know and we just i just never found him when you take the squirrel dogs in there go find Mm, him yeah um but but so look talk a little bit about what was the thing what what led up to you wanting to go sit that spot how did you set the spot how did you pick the ridge points or, or like the the secondary ridges that you were kind of set up on and what were you planning on potentially hoping he was going to do based off what you were seeing and how did it kind of end up well i mean he was using a west facing thermal hub in the morning i had him basically running the bottom of that west facing he it was actually a group of west facing thermal hubs there was like three together and he was traversing the bottom of them and just kind of working his way across each one of them. And he was in there, you know, 
10 days, he was in there four days in, in, in daylight. So he was consistently in that area and had been there for several weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, and it, it really didn't matter about wind. Wind didn't factor up uh, anything in, in really. I went in hunting it with a bad wind because I figured I had to give him the 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 best advantage I could give. I had to give him the best wind for him. And like I said, he was running the bottom of those those uh, thermal hubs, and he would he would occasionally go up through one of them, and he would work over to the next one, and he'd work over the next one, and he'd work his way back down. By the end of the day, he's coming out on the opposite side of this big ridge system, dropping down into an east-facing thermal hub. But he wasn't huntable on the east-facing thermal hub. It was just way too thick. Um, access was not. I couldn't. I couldn't have accessed him from that direction. So my only option was to hunt him off that west-facing thermal hub. And that day, I wanted to go in there and hunt him. Um, it was cloudy. We had a wind. We had a, a, a kind of a frontal boundary that came through and reversed, so it backed up into a warm front. And it turned cloudy, warmed up during the day. The winds really, really kicked up. The wind started coming out of the southwest. Uh, and he was working his way into the into that crossing into that wind, and basically I was coming in from the west, and I got him right where I thought he would be at that period of time. Uh, he was with another a smaller buck, using him as kind of a decoy, and I just didn't I didn't put it together. I flubbed. I don't missed. I don't know what I did, you know. But he he was he was using just like the, I normally have seen him do those dump. If you can get multiple. Uh, west-facing thermal hubs that kind of work into one area, those are really light up during uh, during the rut because they're, they're just, you know, it's just the conditions are just perfect for them to, to be able to use those multiple thermal hubs together uh, as long as they, you know, are kind of similar in shape, have the same terrain, habitat, things like that. So Now, how did you pick your spot? Because you were saying that, you know, it seemed based on trail camera data, he was running that, that lower part of those hubs how did you pick where you wanted to hang your stand or climb a tree or whatever in order to get a shot? Like how high up were you in like all one of those points? I was, I was ground hunting. Yeah. I was just kind of slipping through. Uh, there's another small ridge that kind of runs a parallel with him. Like these ridges run, um, he was basically in, in a big ditch. Uh, this area had a ditch that ran, that ran the, the base of those, uh, uh, thermal hubs and it was eight foot deep ditch uh, and that's another issue like ditches if you can get ditches anywhere but if you can get ditches around thermal hubs um, those are going to be focal points uh, those ditches are just natural thermal draws anyway so he was utilizing three things when he was in there he had the thermals which it turned cloudy temperatures changed Thermals were no longer an issue, but he was utilizing the the thermals that were in that ditch. That's what got him into that area, and that's why I went in there. I was like, I guarantee you, he didn't have the wind he wanted. He had a. I gave him the wind. I gave him a, a wind that was disadvantageous for me because I'm coming in from the west. I'm almost coming with, like we were we were, like two ships passing in the night. He's coming directly toward me, and we're. You know, my wind is going 
just off of him, mm-hmm. and he's working his way into it. But he was utilizing that that ditch, the thermals that were pulling down that ditch, and he was working that, working some scrapes. And basically, I just thought that that morning, I thought, well, I wanted to go in there and hunt that morning because the conditions were perfect uh, for what I wanted, but they weren't per- perfect for what he wanted. And so I didn't go in there and hunt that morning. But as soon as I got that 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 uh, frontal shift moved and the wind switched, temperatures came up a little bit, got cloudy. Then I knew at that point in time that his only his only option at that point in time would be to move along with that ditch because that ditch was the only thing that was going to be drawing any thermals at that position. And he had five or six scrapes right along the side of that ditch. And so I, that's that's basically, you know, that was basically my game plan. It worked. It just didn't work out 100%. It worked mm-hmm. out 50%. So, so you, that that's the deer you ended up shooting. And and how did how did that go down? I mean, like that that's kind of a crazy story how he ended up going down and then yeah. I, I guess it got back up. He got up. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I walked up on him. I saw horn. Uh I I Got in position, got braced. I had a time to do everything. I did everything perfectly. He was standing 60 yards away. What, when, what was he doing? Was he just working? <clears throat> he's up? working a scrape. Okay. Yeah, he's working a scrape. Yeah. He'd worked, he'd had about, he had about six scrapes uh, stretched out along this old logging road that was just completely like if you walked in there, you know, it, it, you couldn't, you'd have to crawl through it. You know, like it was just brutal, but he had, he had a, network of of his trail that went through this uh old logging road and 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 he was working a scrape and he just came off of it and came in this little opening and i laid the hammer down and it just didn't do the trick i, I again he went down <laughs> i mean i was like i'm going to go get this deer you know I've, I've had this deer on camera for three years now i'm about to go over here and pull him out of the tree i'm pull him out of the woods and i got over there and there was nothing yeah, you know, like no hair, no, no little bit of hair, it, but no you, blood. You, you didn't see him get up. I never saw him get up. Oh no. yeah, okay, that's what no, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking through the scope yeah. and 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 watch him for a good 15 seconds, and he's laying flat, prone on the ground like this, like oh. legs out. You know, the only thing I can think is is I, sh- I just the angle of the shot, just I don't I don't kind of shocked you know. him. Yeah, shocked you know. him. Yeah, yeah. God. Yeah. Hit high. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I'm, I'm up on a ridge and he's on the other side and he's going up it. Well, I take that back. I I was up on a ridge that that is straight up, like it's like a knife blade, and it's just you can just, you know if you it's one of those ridges that's just when you see them you're like that just sticks out in your you know because I mean it's literally as wide as this couch. That's what I'm walking on, and it is straight down on both sides you know, 60 or 70 feet. So, and it's, it's, and he's down below me and walking up a, up a bank basically. So he's like, like that, you know, and it was just shot placement. I just, I, you know, I I don't know. Just one of those, it's just, you don't, it, it wasn't broadside. It wasn't the most ideal position, but I've killed deer that way before. And I felt confident making that shot. But evidently, I just didn't make that shot. You know, it's just one of those one of those things that just happens to some of us sometimes. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you told us that story, and uh, 
and I, and that that story was a little bit too fresh in Jacob's mind. Yeah, I, apparently it, it 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 <laughs> come back to bite both of us. Yeah, yeah. 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 People uh, people can go back and listen to that episode if they want. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> From uh, last December. Absolutely. Jacob yeah. Jacob made a, a boo boo. Yeah. He, he made a mistake. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It the, uh, no, it it so it's but one thing that's interesting about like the thermal hubs is like your thought process of having that wind. Like one thing I've, I've, I've realized and you know, hearing you talk about this, especially in this episode is you're giving that buck every advantage possible with the wind and the wind and thermal, mostly the thermal specifically, but also kind of a wind in his face as he's working up that thing. And yeah. you are just a far enough off the edge that you're able to get a shot. Now, specifically most of this, you know, at least opportunities had here or during gun season, but does this ever, can this ever play out at all during like archery season? Or do you see them kind of using these train features a little bit differently kind of earlier on, like in say October, early November? No, it's the same thing. Like the year before I had the same, had a, almost in the same position. I was probably 200 yards away, uh, further away from where I, where this happened, same buck during archery season doing the same thing. And he was utilizing the, the I mean, it's it's just in archery season your your range is cut you know like it literally he he walked up that day to within 15 yards of me uh but it was just in a and that's that's the thing about it a lot of times in in, you know way i hunt now i think it's the way a lot of a lot of a lot of archery hunters hunt is you're hunting in 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 this was early season too the conditions are not right you, you can't see 20 30 yards like this one here i had to get him at 12 yards at 12 yards i could have shot him at 15 where he busted me i couldn't shoot him and a lot of times it's that it's just that away but yeah i had that same deer the year before same wind condition uh i had to go in there and hunt hunt him because i knew he was using this this bed um at a particular time and i just timed it up just right i mean camera data had told me that he was using it kind of off and on and i went in there and hunted it that morning with that same thermal and wind condition southwest wind dropping thermal it was going right to him but my wind was just dripping off the other side of the ridge but it just was making it to right where he he was at so it it was just a knife blade. It was just that close. So I had him back to back years, giving him the same wind and the same thermal advantage, uh, but I didn't close the deal either one. You know, so now didn't you have a couple other encounters last year during bow season with some pretty good? I deer? did. Yeah. What yeah. was the situation? Because one of them, if I remember right, you had like multiple encounters with. Yeah. Like where yeah. he was bedding at, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was I was on in his bedding area uh, multiple times. Um, and same thing, you're hunting thermals. That's that's where the, the thermals and the hunting this the because early season, a lot of times these mature bucks are wanting to bed down low because, and this is what I've seen, and it, it played out with that buck, the big buck last year. It played out with that the one that I almost is is where they're most that they're most safe at is not up on the higher ridges it's down low because especially when those thermals are dropping they feel comfortable moving in those areas a lot of times you just got to hunt them in those areas because 
that may be your only option. And so it's um, dang if you do, dang if you don't. If you don't hunt them down there, uh, then you'll never see them down there. But at the same time, if you hunt them down there, a lot of times they're going to bust you. So it's just a chance you got to take. And this deer ended up getting killed during a rut. But I I had five run-ins with him in this same bedding area. Like, and that's another thing is is a lot of times a lot of people think that mature bucks are just bed wherever in the in the mountains, you know. And for a majority of them will, you know, they'll just if they're just making their rounds, they'll bed. But once they get in four and a half, five and a half years old, it's just like we are as old people. <laughs> I like my bed, you know. I know my I know where my bedroom is. I want to get there. We all know? brought our own yeah. pillows. Yeah. We all brought our own <laughs> pillows, pillows or blanket, blanket yeah. fans. Yeah. You name it. We want all the and they they're the same way. So yeah, for a three and a half year old, probably he's bedding wherever. But for a four and a half, five and a half, especially five and a half, six and a half, even in the mountains where you think, well, he's bed wherever. No, he's probably got like three that he really likes. Now he'll go bed somewhere for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But when when uh, when push comes to shove, he's gonna find that that bed that he really likes because he trusts it, and that that's what I was trying to kill this deer in that bed that he trusts, and you know I, I didn't get it done, but I saw him there five times, you know, he never he he never busted me there five times, but I saw him there five times, so that's all you can ask for, you know, mm-hmm. especially when you're bow hunting a mature buck you know what was his bedding area like by the way like how was he using that area what was the area like like topography wise and well covering all that it was at the he was at the head or i'd say well he was at the 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 lowest one of the lower points of a huge thermal hub so this this wasn't a small thermal hub it was a really really big one and it was super thick uh, now, I don't believe he was using this thermal hub once leaf drop, but prior to leaf drop, he was in there consistently. Like, he was in there every other day. He was using that, that one, like, one little four or five acre bedding area. Uh, but he was accessing it from the same direction every time. The only difference, only only problem with him, I knew where he was coming from. The problem was you couldn't access it. That's another thing, like you just access, like he was using this, he was consistently using this one act. He loved that access point mm-hmm. because he always had the thermals. There's no way he was bomb proof to get into it. Um, but he left himself open to an area that, that, that only I could access from because my property mm-hmm. joined that. So I had the only available access to this public land basically and i that's the only way i could have could have ever hunted him Any, anybody else could have hunted him from the highway or from another road that accessed and he would have known well mm-hmm. before that you know but it was super thick blow down uh, you know an area you would have to crawl through you know it's basically what he was bedding in you know and just like a thermal hunt you hunted last year they you know down you know on a, on a gun hunt specifically, you kind of walked in there, a lot of blow down. You're like, man, it's yeah. too thick. Ain't nothing in here. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I ended up meeting the guy that killed the buck in there. <laughs> well, so, I, 
Yep. This we're, one here got killed too. So yeah. 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 Me and that guy were all over each other. I was looking at his boot tracks. I'm like, oh, this guy's going back here. I'm gonna I'm gonna slip in the backside and I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna get this deer coming through this hub. He killed it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought yeah. too hard about the whole situation. But yeah. to kind of bring this full circle, um, Shane, in the area that you're talking about right now with this particular buck is a correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a lower deer density than than where we're at now, right? So how do you how do you come to a place like this and and view it kind of through the correct lens? Because if you're used to that that lower deer density and you come to a place like this that has a much higher deer density, it's just like how do you not see the sign and your eyeballs just like pop out of your head? You know, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. how do you how do you kind of temper that excitement and be like, okay, this is this good sign for where I'm at? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I mean. <sighs> That that's you know, that's why I'm really rethinking my thermal hub over here now, you know, and that's why I want to go back to it because it doesn't have it has similar sign to what I'm used to hunting, whereas probably if I go over here, like you said, more more deer, more opportunity to get busted, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot, it's a lot, you know, it, it's probably a catch twenty twenty two because higher deer density, higher opportunity. Lower deer density, lower opportunity, but it's also lower deer density, less opportunity to get busted. So it it you know, as far as sign goes, it's all the same sign. It's just the quantity of it, you know. Um, so you're looking for the same amount of sign, the same type of sign. It's just you're probably going to see a lot more of it. It's going to be more eye popping, but. If it's not there, it's not there, you know. But a lot of times you can't. A lot of times it's a sign you don't see uh, that 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 gets you where you need to be, you know. Like, and I'm not saying that like it's a sign that you aren't looking for or you uh, don't pay attention to or you don't put value in that in the end um, comes back to bite you is is mm-hmm. usually my case when I don't don't succeed at stuff that I found afterwards that, that really kind of, I should have seen that to begin with and, and paid more attention to it, you know? And I, I guess that's, that's the, as far as deer density and things like that, um, it's all the same sign. It's just the quantity of it and not reading too much into that massive amount of sign. Cause a lot of times that's just, you know, it's just fluff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I, you know, we're we're just now getting into this hunt. I want to do another podcast towards the end of the hunt, kind of recapping how all this actually ends up playing out. So people will be tuned in for that. Uh, but you already got yourself a little souvenir there. I was gonna bring that up. I did. Yeah. I did. I got a got a shed today. Yeah, yeah. man. A shed that still has uh, old stuff from last year. So yeah, it's still got. Yeah. Like so a, he had just the, rubbed. Yeah, he had like just rubbed. rubbed before he lost it. I guess because yeah. it looks like he's rubbing a cedar or something. It's kind something, of orange yeah. in there. Yeah. But you like how often do you find a shed that's got the this like tree bark still? I, I can't ever remember finding one. Is and it? I, yeah. Is it because of where he? I think where he dropped it. Yeah, because I mean he was under a rock, like it was a rock outcropping, and this was tucked in there. I think he bedded in there, and it just fell off. That's you know? so cool. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, when you when you yeah, originally... we're hunting these cave deer, bro. Yeah, yeah. When, yeah, Shane. When you originally came in, you're like, hey man, I found a shed today. It was under a rock. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. under like a rock. Like it was like like a rock was laying <laughs> on top of it, and then you're like, yeah. no, like an overhang. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. that makes way more sense. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that, those it, apparently they like overhanging rocks to bed in because mm-hmm. that's where he probably lost this one at. So yeah, yeah. People yeah. on the video podcast can uh, can see that shed. Uh, if you're not watching the video podcast, it is available on YouTube. So I suggest you go watch it. Um, Jacob, you got anything else before we before we kick it off and, and go to sleep here? Because we're we're creeping up on midnight. Yep. No, I'm just I'm excited for the rest of this hunt. Try to see what we can get into. You know, scout hard tomorrow. You know, and do a little slips hunting slash scouting, especially tomorrow afternoon, and see what we can wander into. Um, again, we're in a very target rich environment depending on what your targets are but um you know hopefully we're gonna have some opportunities uh later into this hunt after we kind of get a better lay of the land and uh and what some of this quality sign looks like and hopefully we kind of get into a little bit more than them whip rubs that's that's what i'm looking for tomorrow that or a bunch of bear crap <laughs> one of the two man you get you give me one of the two i'm gonna be thrilled this might turn into a bear hunt real quick yep yep absolutely so <laughs> Um, other than that, appreciate you, Shane, for coming down and doing this hunt with us, man. This is going to be fun and kind of spend time in camp and, um, you know, hopefully make something happen. But, uh, Andrew, you got anything else? No, let's, uh, let's go to bed. Okay. Awesome, guys. <laughs> well, appreciate y'all watching this podcast on YouTube. Appreciate y'all listening to this podcast, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you go leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. Also, share the podcast with some buddies, guys. Season is upon us, at least for most of us. Uh, some of us that may be open. Uh, a little bit later in October, you know, it's creeping up on us very, very quickly. So make sure you share the podcast with some friends and family members. But, uh, guys, uh, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you all back here on the next episode from the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Y'all stay safe. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about uh, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.